Dear congregation, we have witnessed in past months the dreadful fall in Adam over and over again as we've moved our way through the black, the white, and the red chapter of Genesis 3. And perhaps one word can summarize all the dreadful consequences of that fall best, namely the word separation. We have seen that sin has separated Adam and Eve from their God and how poignantly the closing verses of Genesis 3 point that out to us. God says, He drove out the man and He placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. What a tragic ending of this chapter. We've all seen paintings, of course, of this. I'm sure you've seen it in books and in museums, famous paintings of Adam and Eve being driven out, the angel hovering over them with a sword, Adam's head bowed low, hands covering his face, Eve's head thrown back, in anguish of spirit. The very motion of their bodies etches itself deeply in our minds in motion of torment and shame and misery as they are banished from God. But that's not the only dreadful separation of Genesis 3. We've seen, too, that man is separated from his own environment. A dreadful separation. Dust thou art, to dust shalt thou return. Nature now is often a terrible tyrant over man, even destroying him. And man in turn exploits and abuses nature. But here in chapter 4, we meet yet another kind of separation. The alienation of brother from brother, powerfully illustrated in the relationship of Cain and Abel. And so we begin congregation, to see in these chapters, post-fall chapters, how that sin spreads outward and progresses and destroys relationships, even to the point that God will have to destroy the world with a flood. Sin is dreadful. Sin exposes things. Sin separates a man from his brother. Sin produces a world of bitterness and anger and malicious intent. Sin promotes evil attitudes such as jealousy and envy and hatred and violence. And they all breed each other. Sin spawns bad relationships. Not just bad marriages. As we saw in the last chapter with Adam and Eve. But in every relationship that makes up life in this world. It's all around us. We see it, don't we? Fragile relationships. Difficult relationships. Broken relationships. That's why there's so much violence in the world today. It's all going back to Genesis 3. Our deep fall. Our tragic fall. And that's why even in the church, even on the mission fields, what's the classic trouble on the mission field? Well, it's not between the missionaries and the heathen. It's between the missionaries themselves. That's the number one problem always on the mission field. Brother and brother. That's true in the church. 
Every book of pastoral theology will tell you that the greatest problems are in the church, sometimes among leaders, ministers fighting, or office bearers fighting, or volunteer lay people can't get, to, can't get together, can't get their wires uncrossed, and some outreach on which they're working together. Or bring it closer to home. In a family clan, the greatest troubles often happen among those who live under the same roof. Why is this? Why in the Christian church? Well, Genesis 3. The spirit of sin produces the spirit of Cain. And the spirit of Cain destroys. We've seen that spirit. We've seen that spirit also in the church. It's not unusual. We ought not be surprised. We're sinners. All of us are sinners. We all have some of Cain in us. Some more, some less. But we've seen the anger looking out of the eyes even of God's people as they talk to and about each other in bitterness and anger. And we're all prone to that spirit. So tonight, friends, as we talk about this terrible alienation in the first family of the earth, we're not talking about some ancient world experience. We're talking about you and me. We're talking about the church today. We're talking about our time about our nature, about our family, about the real world. We're talking about one another. I am talking about myself tonight. And you are reading about yourself in Genesis 4. And that's why this story tonight is so important for us to understand. Understand this story, and we will understand the problems in our modern world. We will understand the problems in the church. We will understand the problems in every relationship. And so turn with me tonight, if you will, to Genesis 4, 1 through 16. And I will read again only verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Our theme tonight, God and Cain. God and Cain. And we will see God's relationship with Cain in three different scenes. Scene number one. Cain's offering rejected by God. Scene number two, Cain's murder judged by God. And scene number three, Cain's appeal received by God. God and Cain. Cain's offering rejected by God. Cain's murder judged by God. Cain's appeal received by God. Genesis 4 begins in a stupendous way. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. In the original Hebrew, I've gotten the Lord. I've gotten the Lord man. The man expected. The Messiah. The seed of the woman. Now I say that's a remarkable beginning. Because chapter 3 ends... And the Lord drove out the man. And chapter 4 begins, the Lord gives birth to the man and the woman. And so we see a vital principle already in the first verse post-fall. We see this principle of the first chapter post-fall. Is that scripture teaches us that God's judgment 
and man's alienation from God does not mean that God will have no more to do with man. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. Rather, it means that God has something that we call, or theologians have called, common grace. That God will still deal with man and still go on with the human race. Eve experiences the help of God in giving birth to Cain. And the next verse, by giving birth to Abel. But the story here concentrates on Cain, doesn't it? That's why our focus tonight is on Cain. If we were to preach from Hebrews 11.4, of course, our focus would be on Abel. Well, let's look then at scene number one. Cain brings an offering to God, and Abel does as well, but God rejects Cain's offering. You see that, don't you, in verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Now, what's remarkable here, and what deserves close attention is that this is the very first picture in Scripture of sinful children of Adam seeking God, seeking a way back to God. And obviously, both Cain and Abel, being well instructed by their parents, and perhaps by God himself in some way, knew very well that they could not come into God's presence as sinners without an offering. That is obvious. They both come and bring their offerings. They both know that sin separates them from God. They both understand the principle of an offering. Now, the message in this story is that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to approach God with an offering. There is an acceptable sacrifice with which to approach unto God, And there is an unacceptable sacrifice which will bar us from God's presence. And the point of this story is to tell us that Cain brought the unacceptable sacrifice before God and was rejected by God, both he and his sacrifice. And Abel brought the acceptable sacrifice before God and was accepted both he and his sacrifice. So the important question we need to ask at the outset is, why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? And I believe there is a general answer to that, which we want to look at first, and then there is a particular answer that we want to look at as well. Happily, the New Testament itself gives us the general answer. In Hebrews 11, verse 4, if you'll turn there, please. Hebrews 11, verse 4. Notice what it says. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Then look down at verse 6. Again, the focus is on faith. This is still dealing with Abel and Cain. 
For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Abel's offering was an offering of faith. It was given in obedient trust to what God said about approaching him only with a bloody sacrifice. Now, how much God told Abel and Cain directly, we don't know. But certainly Adam and Eve, don't you think, would have spent many a long night talking to Abel and Cain about what they experienced in the garden and how when God gave the promise, God killed animals, the first death there was in the world, to shed blood to clothe them and to teach them that the only way to approach unto God is through blood. So though they didn't understand very much about the cross to come or very much about the Messiah, they understood this principle very well. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, Abel and Cain must have understood something of that. You read in verse 3 in our chapter, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offered unto the Lord. And then Abel in verse 4. In process of time in Hebrew is literally in the end of the days. In other words, either at the end of harvest or at a special appointed time, implying that there was a set time that God had revealed they should sacrifice. They should bring the Lord their offerings. And so that place was a special place, a place of worship, a place of special presence of the Lord. And you find that hinted at again in our, in our text in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Obviously, you can, since God is omnipresent, you can never move out of the presence of the Lord literally, but this is out of the special presence of the Lord, out of the special sphere of worship, the place of sacrifice, which of course today we don't bring sacrifices because Jesus has offered a sacrifice once for all, but we gather in church to worship God. And God has promised to be especially present in his house of prayer. He delights in the tabernacles of Jacob less than he does and to dwell in the midst of Zion. And so what happens is Abel and Cain come at an appointed time to an appointed place to bring their offerings to the Lord. Abel reacts in faith to those offerings, to, to all his instructions, and he comes with a bloody sacrifice. He comes with lambs. He knows that he cannot be accepted. He knows he's a poor sinner and that he can only be accepted through a substitute that points to the seed of the woman to come that would destroy the head of the serpent. Cain is audacious. He thinks that he can pretty well make ends meet himself. So his is an offering of unbelief. He brings the fruit of his field, a bloodless offering. He comes to the Lord in his own strength. So you see, there was a difference of heart attitude. One comes with faith and one comes out of unbelief. And that makes for the difference, too, in the language of which Scripture uses here. Notice what it says of Abel when he brought... He brought the firstlings of his flock, the very best, the very first, and the fat thereof. He brought the choicest part to God. That's a reflection of his heart attitude. Cain, operating out of unbelief, just brings the fruit of the field. It doesn't say that it wasn't the first fruits, but it doesn't say it was either. Even if it was the first fruits, Adam, or, or rather Cain, 
didn't have his heart in it. He wasn't offering by faith. His was an unbelieving tokenism. He wanted God to recognize what he had done. He looks religious. But in his heart, he is not totally dependent on God. He is not childlike in faith. He is not truly grateful. But now the particular reason goes even deeper. The particular reason of their differences is this. Cain and Abel's offerings become symbols. We will see that also next time as we go further in Genesis 4. They were signs of something deeper than the objects which they brought. You see, the fruit of the ground, after God's curse upon it, could only be produced by man's sweat and toil. And so Cain's offering is a symbol of man's sweat and toil. It's a symbol of human work. And so when he brought that offering to the Lord, it was a symbol of human achievement. This is what man can do. And God rejects it. Nothing man can do as a sinner can be acceptable to God. Abel's offering is of a very different symbolic significance. You see, Abel comes with blood. Abel comes signifying, I cannot do it. Nothing of me is good enough, Lord. It is only a substitutionary sacrifice that can be accepted in thy sight. So here's the ultimate difference that Hebrews 11 is talking about. One is not only by faith and one is not only by unbelief, but the one is a whole way of faith. It's a way of faith and the other is the way of works. The way of trusting in God's mercy or the way of trusting in human merit. And so God accepts Abel's and he rejects Cain's. Now the point is this. God is beginning to show us the two seeds. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The Cain line that leads to death. The Abel line that leads to everlasting life. God is beginning to open up, which will come more vivid in, in chapter, the rest of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, these two very different lines. And these two lines represent, in the church of all ages, two different religions, even if they labeled Christian. One religion says there's only one way to go to God. That's by Jesus Christ, by his blood, and by his sacrifice. And if you don't go that way, you are lost forever. That's the religion of Abel. That's the religion of the Bible. That's the true religion. The other religion says, well, you've got to be tolerant in this age. There's so many people that never heard about Christianity. There's more ways to God. We will all find our own way to God. If you do your best. If you bring the works of your hands, if you bring good intentions, if you, if you do what you can do, God will accept it. That's the way that flies in the face of what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ alone cleanses from all sin. Now the question tonight is which line, which seed do you belong to? Have you experientially learned that all the fruit of your own field 
can only leave you guilty and rejected by God. That your offering is sin and that you are sin and God cannot accept you or your offering. Or have you learned that everything of you is sin and your offerings are sin and all the works and prayers and tears and everything you can produce is sin and the only way to begin to approach God is to bring Him His own Son and to fall at His feet penitently and believingly clinging to His Son as your only substitute. Congregation, the most important question you can ask yourself is this. Have I learned in my life that only by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ is there remission of sin? And is my whole soul and my entire being resting on that sacrifice of Christ alone for salvation? That's the question. And I say to you tonight with liberty, I believe the whole Bible testifies of it, if you can say yes with all your heart to that question, you and your sacrifice are accepted before God because God accepts sinners in the sacrifice of His Son. Now I know, there, I know our flesh raises all kinds of objections to this. Cain was the firstborn. Cain had more rights than Abel. It seems unfair, some people say. Why would God, why would God reject Cain? Didn't, didn't Cain do his best? Didn't he mean well? Well, perhaps. But Cain left out the blood. And so what Cain is, Cain is a representation, you see. He's a symbol of all the beautiful things you can offer to God in your religion and in your world which you would like to give him, but he cannot accept. If Cain had come with a bloody offering as the ground of his salvation, and then had come with the first fruits of the field and said, Lord, I would like to give thee these as a thank offering, God would have accepted it, of course. But he didn't do that. He came with the work of his own hands, as the ground of acceptance before God. He came outside of the only way of salvation. Congregation, there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ the righteous. The mediator is not your experiences, it's not your tears, it's not your prayers, it's not your religion, it's nothing of you or me. True experiential religion is not based on experiential religion. True experiential religion is experience that flows out of being based on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's the message of Cain and Abel. So when Cain refuses to come with the blood offering, God rightly rejects him and rejects anything that he and anything that we will offer outside of his own son. Now that's why we ought not be so impressed with people who are very religious but come to God without blood. Sometimes in our circles we get, we get very impressed with the Amish and their, and their secluded lifestyle. Or we get very impressed with the zeal of Jehovah's Witnesses or with those clean-cut Mormons going from door to door, those young men who dedicate so much. Well, we can be impressed with their dedication, but don't ever be impressed with their religion. Now, there may be exceptions, 
among them. There may be exceptions among the Amish, but the Amish religion is a free will religion. Jehovah Witness teach that Jesus is not even son of God. And the Mormons are a hodgepodge of all kinds of pagan philosophy. You have nothing to be impressed with about what these people believe. If they believe that and they go on their way without basing their salvation in Jesus Christ, they are going to hell despite all their religion and all their sincerity and all their clear-cutness, and so are you and I. There's only one sacrifice that's acceptable before God. Are you coming to God? It's a question of eternity, friends. You've got to answer it. You've got to face it. Are you coming to God with the only acceptable sacrifice. Where is their hope then? Their hope is in the way of Jesus Christ. The hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. You see, the blood of Abel spoke judgment, the judgment of Cain. But Hebrews 12, 24 says that there's another's blood who's been shed, and we go to that blood. We go to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. That blood is offered you tonight. Can. To every can in our midst. If thou comest to God with his own blood, shalt thou not do well. But if not, sin lies crouching at the door of your heart like a beast to destroy you. There's only two ways. Fly to Jesus Christ by the grace of the Spirit and be saved. Or go the way of Cain and wander like a vagabond on the earth and come into the homelessness of hell forever. Which seed do you belong to? Right now. And which way will you go? Amen. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.